Welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Advantage player and co-founder of Betstamp. Johnny, thank you very much for coming on. The Business of Betting podcast is proudly brought to you by the Betfair Hub from Betfair Australia. No matter where you are in the world, if you want expert articles from pro punters, from building automated models to betting psychology, check out the Betfair Hub. Betfair.com.au slash hub. Gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Advantage player and co-founder of Betstamp. Johnny, thank you very much for coming on. Hey Jake, how are you today? I'm good, my friend. Very good, very good. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, unfortunately, we have a limited amount of time. Otherwise, we could probably spend like a full Joe Rogan length show going through a bunch of different stuff. And we certainly don't have a cool den in Texas somewhere to record like that, but Nevertheless, we'll, we'll have a crack here, and I'm looking forward to hearing about you. So why don't you just start? Um, there's plenty to cover, but your background, tell us about how you got to the gambling world, let's say, and what was that path like for you? Yes. Uh, first off, thank you very much for having me on. I, uh, I really appreciate it, and I'm a big fan of all you do with this podcast. Uh, I've been a listener for quite some time now, and uh, I will say... Over the years, I've definitely learned a lot specifically from the Business of Betting pod and the, the different uh, interesting people you've had on. So I'm happy to kind of take the stage and then share, you know, hopefully things that other people can learn from as well. In terms of my start, um, so I grew up and still live in, uh, in and around Toronto, Canada, which, um, you know, is a really big sports town and obviously the biggest in terms of uh, the Canadian cities. Uh, in the specific town that I grew up in, it is a really big, uh, you know, sports betting town per se. We, you know, got started at a really early age in every single high school. You know, there's the you know local bookies and here and there. Uh, we've also got in Ontario the OLG lottery, which um, it's like a provincial-run lottery that allows sports betting at any convenience store or gas station. They'll sell you the tickets. It's a little bit different than kind of the U.S. legal market at this point. Essentially, you can only play parlays and a few other markets, and it's not very good in terms of the uh, the odd sets and everything, but it is a great way to get started, and, and almost everybody I know in Ontario here in Canada gets started through sort of that method. So that was my start uh, into betting, and quite obviously, when, when starting with that, betting into what is, you know, in most cases, a 25 to 35% hold. Uh, shocking, I was not a winning better on, on OLG. But uh, eventually moving up and, and, and kind of getting some you know, new ways to bet and, and trying different things helped me out a lot. Um, in the town I was from, it, it was you know, very unique, but it was easy to say, oh, this guy's got better odds or go here, you can get better odds. And as soon as I heard those words, better odds, it was like, where do I sign up? Where do I go? Uh, let's do this. So ultimately um, started you know, betting through high school, uh, through university, and started off as a losing better, but then kind of realized, hey, if I do this, this will improve here. If I do this, this will improve here. If I, you know, am able to bet at this sports book, now I have access to X. Um, throughout the very first bet I've ever placed throughout that entire time, one thing that's always helped me is I was always very keen in tracking everything I did. I always wanted to have it neat, organized in an Excel sheet. So uh, 
I will credit essentially a lot of my success to being able to track and analyze a lot of things and learn from those mistakes. Um, further, in terms of where uh, I've gotten to right now, I'll credit that to you know the network I've been able to build and the amount of people that have been willing to help. So things like your podcast or other content that is posted all over like you know Twitter and, and other social platforms and online. Uh, it's obviously tough to weed out what's good and what's bad when you're first coming up, but ultimately a lot of these shows and educational shows and you can listen to a lot of people who are doing this stuff for real and they may not give out the edge. They don't give out their secret formula, but there's always that one, you know, that one or two thing, uh, that one sentence that you can take from them that will in turn, you know, <laughs> give you something that you can now have that's actionable. So let's talk about the recreational gambler for a moment. Cause you know, everyone's probably been there. I think it, it'd be very hard to find someone who just went immediately to the, the top sort of 1% and, and started winning. And even today, like I consume a lot of content, like many, whether it's through Twitter or other platforms, and you see things that on the surface look compelling, but you know, once you've been around long enough, you know that they're not. And it's a really difficult challenge for that recreational gambler, especially let's say in a new market like the US where they haven't been exposed through high school and, and college and through that period to gambling as much as either other countries or other people in the United States. And they might see, I mean, even seeing stuff this morning around Tampa Bay and the the Saints, um, obviously the Saints, I think, beat them twice this season. And when they're playing for the third time, this is what typically happens, but there's obviously no context around that. And it's largely going to be useless or, or most of those things are largely useless. And if, if anything, they're slightly dangerous because people think that they're worthwhile and, and can help inform decisions how do how do recreational gamblers now find their way out of that and obviously you talked a little bit about it before and, and what you did but not necessarily everyone wants to get to the top of the top but there is a way for them to climb out of that sort of basement let's say is that fair to say yeah um it's a dangerous game as you mentioned so when when you look at the betting media right now, if I can just call it betting media. So that would include, you know, the people who are live on the big TV networks, the people who host the big podcasts. Um, these people just simply put, they're not professional betters, right? So if you're on ESPN giving out picks in all likelihood, that's, a, you know, a media job and there's nothing wrong with that. And, and people do a great job in those media gigs, but um, it's difficult for, you know, especially with the legalization of betting and the expansion across the U.S., for people to tell the difference between the guy who's giving out picks on the big network and people who are, you know, running betting offices and running syndicates that are, are doing the stuff for real. So it's a dangerous game. Um, I, I think, to be honest, when you look at, you know, social media and where everything's going right now, quite obviously, you know, 99% of the people who have professional better in their Twitter bio are, are not professional betters. Uh, they're just people who are coin flipping. And like you said, spending different narratives on, you know, Tampa Bay is one, you know, two in a row or this team historically off the bye week with this coach. It's, it's obviously a lot of different things. And with data science and the whole, any business, really any marketing business, you can easily spin a narrative whichever way you want even looking at the exact same data set so a lot of that stuff's dangerous um but then again the point of betting really if you think of it is it's not really to make money for some people it is but in general 
it's got to be a mix of both like entertainment and and making money i think one of the biggest issues right now is that you know people think that they either have to be like a professional which they don't have no idea what that entails or they're going to lose money so to get to the level of the people who are running these syndicates, running betting offices and betting full time, the, the average person has no idea what that takes. And, and they don't really know that, to be honest, it's not very glorious. So to be betting professionally 100% of the time, not have any other earn and only earn from betting, you are in most cases grinding 100 hour weeks or more. You are, you know, you're doing a lot of screen watching and uh, you're doing a lot of, whether you're originating or, you know, or you're more of a top-down player, you're sitting in front of a screen all day, uh, you're running a lot of different programs, you have a screen that either you maybe use a Don Best or something, or maybe you've got your own in-house software that you've built, but ultimately, you're not watching games and sweating games and having like a bunch of fun betting it and saying, oh, I had this win and I had this, this loss. Like, it's not that glorious to be a professional better. But at the same time, uh, I don't think that you necessarily need to be, you know, strictly a recreational guy that, you know, only bets 12 team parlays and ends up losing a shirt every single week or bets beyond uh, his or her means. So it's a mix. Obviously, it's, it's a different mix. Uh, I think, to be honest, the area where I think the industry is going is that uh, semi-pro better, and you can call it semi-pro. In reality, what it is is somebody who can bet serious enough that they at least are a break-even, slight loser, or slight winning better at the end of the year, but ultimately has a ton of fun doing it. And when you mix in the amount of fun you're having with the earn, even if you're losing a little bit of money at the end of the year, you can kind of quantify that fun as a certain dollar figure. And, and when you look at it at the end of the year, there's your, there's your expected value formula. So your negative EV on the bets by a little bit, you've got your full-time job, you're watching sports, you're sweating games, you're having fun. And when you factor all that in, it's a winning formula for the industry. So, uh, I will say that's one thing that I have been doing a lot of thought on recently. The, the professional better in the way that it's portrayed is not tried and true for, you know, the average person. And that's not how it really is in terms of what they have as a vision, but also there, there isn't, there isn't one single way to bet on sports. You don't have to be either a professional better or a whale. You can be somewhere in the middle and still get, you know, your earn and get the most out of sports betting. What do you think, Jake? No, I agree. Even for me personally, it's shifted over the years where I had more time when I was younger versus now. And, even I mean, even thinking back like 15 years ago, I remember thinking uh, there was like a light bulb moment where, you know, watching the in-play lines, and this is a while ago, so this was like you had to call up in Australia type thing. Maybe it was 10 years ago, whatever it might be. But And, you know, I would look at the pregame total, let's say, and then during the game, <laughs> I would even just the, the recent example with the Browns-Steelers uh, game. What was it, 28 nothing at the end of the first quarter? If you're tied to the pregame total, then you're going to go crazy because you're going to be like, well, they expected, I don't know what it was, in the 40s, the total. The live totals, you know, 50s and 60s now or up to 70s or whatever it was. If you just bet under because you thought that was, you know, linking back to the pregame total, then you haven't factored in what's happening in the game. And even doing some dumb mistakes like that earlier on and then you learn that and then you learn other things and it's a process to get to a level where 
you know, even today, if I wanted to start betting again more seriously, I'd probably take, you know, a lot of your advice and, and find ways to just make it a, a enjoyable endeavor that I'm happy to spend, you know, half a percent, one percent, one and a half percent vig on throughout the year uh, and, and make that really, really worthwhile betting on sports. Um, and I think obviously people don't sit down and go through that analysis themselves, but people could and should think about it in that way where, there are plenty of simple things that we do in many other, you know, walks of life that we save a dollar here or there or $10 here or there or $100 here or there. You know, why can't you do that in your betting, especially if you're betting all the time recreationally? Um, there's some meat on the bone to be had by thinking it through, doing some of the things that hopefully you'll be able to share with us later on. But there is certainly an evolution for everyone uh, and, and a self-assessment of what you want to get out of it how you can optimize that without too much effort, because I think that's the key. People don't want to put in too much effort necessarily. Um, and it's so easy to just fall back on your natural instincts. If you're a fan to say, well, I know this team, I know this coach, I know what's going to happen obviously more than we actually do. Um, so I think it's, it's an interesting one because that middle ground between professional and recreational uh, is one that's always been hotly debated. And some people think it's a sizable uh, chunk of the market others think it's largely irrelevant and i don't know do you think that is where do you sit on with respect to that semi-professional band or tier do you think that exists now or do you think there's some development to go to build that out and some of the software and technology and honestly education will help build that out i think it's it's a niche market right now uh it's not as big as i think it will be in the upcoming years so the way this is, again, just a theory, uh, I don't necessarily have, you know, the data to back this up because I've never run uh, a sports book myself or been privy to a lot of the, the data from, let's say, the offshore sports books. But ultimately, um, when you start betting, you get a bunch of people that will come to your platform and, or your sports book, right? And you might have 100 people that sign up on day one and that deposit on day one. Of those 100 people, there's going to be, you know, the 1% that is the long-term winner and, and there's going to be, let's say, I, 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 won't, I don't even want to assign it a percentage, but there's going to be a large percentage of players who will lose their initial deposit, whether it's $20, $50, $100, and never deposit again and never bet on sports again. So uh, it is kind of like a, a sales funnel in a sense where there's going to be your 100 starting off, uh, you know, a large percentage will never bet again. A smaller percentage will be long-term losers and a smaller percentage will be long-term winners. But ultimately as sports, we're still in such an infancy stage of sports betting in the U S and as everything grows, I think there are going to be, uh, there is going to be a market for the people who stick around long enough to enjoy this as what it is as an entertainment industry and a mix of entertainment and profit and profit. Um, but don't necessarily quit the day job um, and, you know, open a betting office full time. So the way I kind of see it, I always use this analogy and compare it to something that people might. So like a lot of sports fans play, you know, fantasy sports or fantasy football. So the analogy I always relate it to is if somebody in your in your league makes a trade for fantasy football and they trade Lamar Jackson for Derrick Henry, there's going to be some sort of outroar in the league. People are going to say, oh, well, Henry's the better player. He's the running back. He's more valuable. Lamar Jackson's this. But if I were to ask you to evaluate that trade, you can't do so unless you know a hundred other factors. So if I start to mix in other factors like, oh, is, is this a two quarterback league? Well, in that case, then Lamar Jackson is more valuable than 
Derrick Henry. Is this a five quarterback league? In which case then, you know, that trade goes the other way. Is this league a league that doesn't score for rushing yards or for touchdowns or for a different thing? How many players are in the league? What's the roster construction? Does the team that had Lamar Jackson already have, you know, a Patrick Mahomes and he was expendable? All these things need to be factored in before you can evaluate who won that trade and who did the best in that scenario. So when we're looking at sports betting, um, I think there's so many different things that need to be evaluated that um, people can look at themselves and say, well, what do I want to get out of sports betting? Is it something that I want to, how much do I want to earn out of sports betting? Do I want to just use this as a recreational tool? Do I want to use this as a tool? So when you're betting on sports, you're, you're, you're not betting. If you're betting a hundred dollars, then in that one specific bet, you're either, you know, let's say it's a plus a hundred, you're, you're either losing or winning a hundred dollars. But ultimately if you're betting at a minus 110, you lay 110 for 100, you're not actually losing that 110 or winning the 100 in expected value. So if you place that bet once, then that's going to be the outcome. But if you're placing that bet, you know, thousands uh, or tens of thousands of times, what you're really losing is the expected value. So when I now relate this all back and kind of gem it all together, what I'd say is, are you going to use sports betting as one thing? How much money do you have? How much money do you have for recreational things? How much money do you have for this? Is this your earn? What job do you have? Where are your passions lying? When you factor in all of these things, then you can kind of debate and then come to an agreement with yourself on what type of better you want to be. So uh, all of this to say, to be honest, there's no one way to bet. There's no one way to do things. It's all going to be person specific. And within that middle tier market that we're talking about, the, the semi-pro slash, you know, break even better, um, there's many different reasons and many different opportunities to get to that level. But I do think that's the segment that's going to grow the most in the upcoming years. Yeah. And I think part of it is the discipline, even though people know what to do, would know how to do it. Let's just say, you know, you spend a few hours learning the best way to maximize your deposits and deposit bonuses and even if you just want to arb those and you want to bet, you know, both sides across two different sports books, let's say, or if you're in a place with an exchange, you can usually arb relatively well by, you know, not taking a favorite, for example, if you take something at decent plus money, there's things you can do just to, to optimize that initial step. And with the US specifically, and if you're in a place like Michigan, it's going to have sports betting soon, and there's going to be literally um, dozens of, of online options there over the next 12, 18 months. There are plenty of things you can do to, to optimize that. And then as you get past that initial stage, you know, there's plenty of tools and techniques and, and things you can do through um, those different accounts to be break even, let's say. Um, and we'll get to some of that later on. But I think that's possible. Everyone who's, you know, followed the industry or, or listened to some of the smart people who have talked about it online will understand that that's possible. But I still think there's maybe a little disconnect um, with the discipline aspect saying, yeah, I know all that. I can do all that, but I just like doing a six teamer. Um, I like betting futures. I like doing some of the things that wouldn't necessarily be perfectly optimal or efficient a lot of the time. But, you know, I think there's a way to build that in to your overall approach, let's say over a, a calendar year. Um, but I think that discipline aspect could be bridged a bit more with, with software and technology. And I, I hope we get to that point where, it's made a lot easier and you don't have to rely, you know, doing manual tracking on your spreadsheets or, or writing a bunch of this stuff down or, or whatever it is, which may be required at this point. So I think the discipline is always going to be one thing where even though a lot of us know the edge at casinos, we'll still, we'll still bet stupid things on craps or we'll go to 
different table games and do what we do just because we're like, yeah, it's recreational and I'm, I'm going to be loose today. So I think that's going to be the interesting part is, is how does that segment or that group or that band of people um, get to stay in that group uh, with discipline and technology and, and software? Or is it one of those things that forevermore it'll just be too hard and, and that's what will ultimately end up being the case? For, for sure. I, I couldn't agree more. I think, yeah, I may even get some backlash for this, but, but ultimately I, I will stick strong with this. Like it, it is, it's extremely easy to win money betting sports right now in the U S um, it's extremely hard to win a lot of money and it's extremely hard to win money consistently. But as you mentioned, if you're in a state that's just opening up right now, um, I mean, just the bonus hunting alone um, and just arbing between multiple books in that state, you should be able to earn, uh, depending on your risk tolerance, a, a very good earn in year one before getting potentially axed or or anything like that. But ultimately, um, it, it's not very hard to make money betting sports. It's very hard to make a lot of money and it's very hard to make money consistently year over year. Um, but for the new betters, there, there's so much opportunity right now for them to get into. Uh, you said we're going to get into it later. I'm, I'm okay to get into it now in terms of like some concepts. I, I want to be clear on this. This, this is not going to be for everybody, right? So if you're the recreational guy who's a huge Dodgers fan and you want to bet on the Dodgers to win the World Series, then, then place that bet because ultimately the, the fun you're going to have during that World Series run is going to be worth more than the negative expected value you have on that wager. So when you factor in the, the wager, expected value, plus the fun, minus the fun, whatever you want to call it, then you know, you're, you're up top. So place that bet. I, I want to focus more on stuff that I've done in the past and stuff that I currently do that without giving away obviously any, any edges that I currently have or anything like that, but I want to get into stuff that can help the recreational better, uh, win more or, or lose less as we'd call it. Um, and, and like I said, uh, I might get backlash for it, but it, it's, it's relatively easy slash very easy to win right now. If you're disciplined and if you can do it the right way. Um, but taking that next step after that is going to be kind of the, the next, uh, the next hard part that people can figure it on their own. But I'm happy to share a lot of concepts that I think are, are tried and true methods that will work right now. And then some other unique ones that maybe aren't as popular. Yeah, no, let's do it. Cause I think you're spot on to get to that second step. You obviously have to take the first step and play around with some of these concepts and ideas. And some of them, I'm sure some people may have heard of in the past, but hopefully there's some other ones that maybe a little bit, a little bit more unique that will obviously add value to whatever someone's trying to do. For sure. For sure. So I'd say, you know, all in. And this is something that I, I learned, you know, thankfully I was really lucky to learn this on my own growing up, which is the, the power of line shopping. So for the recreational better, if another shop, another sports book has that line at better odds, then 100% of the time, if you're starting out, you should go better at that sports book. So uh, make an unwritten rule that kind of says, if, if my book doesn't have the best line, then I'm not going to bet this. Uh, it seems it seems like uh, seems a bit much, but it's a measure that I think you need to take. So in order to explain that better, what I could do is kind of take a step back and just say something like, if you're betting into minus one ten, minus one ten, you only have one sports book. Uh, you're paying what essentially is a sports book hold of around four point five five. Call it five percent uh, vig to to the sports book. Whereas if you can find one shop that's got you know 
Bears plus 100 and one shop that's got Packers plus 100 on the other side in a pick em game, then when you now place that bet, you can do whatever you want. You can now bet on your favorite team, VIG free, and, you, and you're not going to lose in the long run. You're going to be break even, uh, you know, within, within reason. And obviously variance will go up or down, but within reason, you're going to be a break even better. If you're betting into minus 10, minus 10, then, you know, variance adjusted, you're going to be a losing better in the range of around a 5% ROI loser. So line shopping and having these multiple outs is, in my opinion, the biggest gift that we could ever get as a sports better. Um, personally, I would open up every single account that I possibly could, you know, as long as the money was good and within reason, like if I was in, let's say a legal state like New Jersey, then I would open up every single book in the state of New Jersey that I could, um, and forget about the bonus hunting and forget about all that other stuff. But the main premise is if you have an account with that book, you could bet with that book, but you could also not bet with that book. You don't have an obligation to then say, I'm going to give you X amount of handle per week or per month. So by having every single book, you're getting essentially only upside and zero downside. Uh, the bookmaker is going to hang whatever lines they want. If you want to bet them, you can bet them. And if you don't want to bet them, you could also not bet them, which is just the biggest gift we have as a sports better to be able to shop around and bet into a lower hold. So, you know, having multiple outs and line shopping is the number one thing that people can do. Uh, it makes me, you know, very sad to see people using only one sports book for, for years. Like I've seen people, you know, posting screenshots from the same sports book. Uh, essentially what that tells me is that like, A, even if you are earning on that sports book, you would be earning more. Uh, but overall, uh, there's just, you know, it's kind of like a not even necessarily price sensitivity, but just the ability to go through and, and be able to read those lines and then say, okay, this sports book is, is a little more sharp. This one's not, they're hanging this, they're hanging this. Okay. This is a value bet, or this is a plus EV bet based on market. So a lot of these things, um, I think right now aren't being done by the recreational better for a few reasons. Number one is it is kind of like a little time consuming to go through and search through all of those different outs and scrape through all the lines yourself. Uh, and two, it is extremely hard to manage those books from an accounting perspective. So, you know, tracking the deposited here, withdrew here, got money in here, no money here, uh, no credit here. All of those obviously are, um, you know, very time consuming. So I think that's the main tool that can turn almost any single recreational better into a break even or slightly losing better. And it's right within your fingertips. Like a lot of people do have access to this, especially if you're in, I'll call it a, like a legal state like New Jersey, where you can open up 10 plus books today. Right. So in my opinion, that's definitely the, the main, main thing you can do. Um, but I still do want to tie that into like having more fun, right? So if you're going to just line grind all day and, and stare at a Don Best screen um, and just try to steam chase and beat the closing line, <laughs> that's game. awesome. That's awesome. And it's a good thing to do. Uh, and it's a tried and true method and you're going to make an earn. If you're line grinding from a Don Best and you're, you're scraping through and you're getting the best of the closing line, as long as you can keep replenishing outs, you're going to make money. That's a tried and true method. But reality is it's not good for entertainment at all. It actually is the worst for entertainment because you don't get to sweat the games. You don't get to pick who you're betting on. You don't bet on your favorite team. You don't have the aspect to bet with your friends. And 
your family members and uh, you you might be a Cowboys fan and your buddy's a Bears fan and that one game you get together and and you know those are the things that you can't put a numerical value on in terms of uh the bets so I know I've been talking a while here but line shopping and having multiple outs is, is by far the number one thing and in any concept that I would preach, the concept is always going to be, okay, do this, but then also on top of that, make sure you get the best line available in of all your sports books. Make sense? I think the other thing to that, there's probably different scales or levels that you can go about this type of approach because I usually talk to people and I guess two components. The first one to say, well, I don't, I don't drive an extra 10 minutes to fill up my car with petrol or go to the gas station that's 10 minutes away because it's, you know, an extra couple of cents here or there. So why should I do it? Sports betting. And I'll let you address that because that's often what comes back from, from those who are getting started. Um, and I think the second point is you can have, even if you just add one extra book or two or three extra books, it's it's a far different outcome than you don't have to add 13 because you have 13 separate opportunities wherever you are. Um, I think there's a scale to it as well. And it's not that hard these days to, to open up an app We'll go on a website pretty quickly, just see where the market's at. Most of them are free um, and you can go from there. And even just doing that at a basic level um, will give you an advantage. And as you you know get more in, involved and into it, you can get from basic level all the way through to line grinding. For sure. I mean, the way I like to look at um, my life and my time and the things I value is, is kind of as like an expected value formula. I know it seems, you know, it seems a little weird, but so when you mentioned the, you know, filling up your, your car with, with gasoline example. So if you're going to drive an extra 10 minutes and all you're going to save is 35 cents, then you've just put a value on your time and you can easily calculate that. It's I I've saved, let's say I saved $1. Um, then it took me an extra 10 minutes. Then I'm now putting an exact price on what my time is worth. So for sports bettors, uh, the person who is betting, uh, five dollars a game and is betting only on sundays and only for nfl and they're going to bet 17 weeks in a row and they're going to bet five bucks a week or 10 bucks a week then i'd say yeah at that point you don't need to line, you don't need to line shop you can go ahead and bet your five dollars all on one book and keep everything organized and if that's going to you know keep you sane and have make you the most fun at that point it wouldn't really be worth your time to go and do those other things so I'm not saying that this is for everybody. Again, I really want to focus on that tier of sports bettors who want to get better. If you're betting uh, $100 a game, then it is going to be worth your time to line shop based on the, you know, the tools that are available. And, and we'll get into Betstamp and what um, myself and my team are doing with that. But it, it, based on your time, it would be worth it for that. Uh, if you you know, like I said, it, it's different for every single person. That's the beauty of, of sports betting. And also the beauty of life is that everyone's different. Everyone has a different preference. So I, I can't preach the guy who's betting $5 to go line shop, but the guy who's betting $100, I can, you know, preach to potentially do that if it's in his or her value formula equation. That's, that's the beauty of it. So um, I will say, yeah, if you're, if you don't want to do it, and you're just a recreational better, that's fine. And if you're expecting to do that and you're expecting to just lose a little bit of money on the year and treat this as an entertainment value, then that's awesome as well. And that works for the industry and for sports betting. Um, you mentioned like pinching pennies and stuff like that, um, but then also, you know, spending money elsewhere. So I I do enjoy to go out for a nice steak once in a while and, and I might pay 
a hundred dollars for that steak dinner when I could have bought that steak at the grocery store and cooked it myself for 20. So is that a negative EV bet? In theory, yes, it is. But ultimately, um, you know, it is nice to go out and enjoy. And then when I'm factoring in the, you know, the atmosphere and being able to go out and have it cooked for me and go out for a nice night, then at that point, it, it might be a positive expected value bet after that. So, um, Things like that are, are just things that are always popping up in my head and the way I'm, I like to evaluate different things, um, both in the betting markets and in, in life as well. Yeah. Just very quickly, how has your life changed uh, approaching it in this sort of plus EV, minus EV way? Because certainly plenty of people I talk to from the betting world, the poker world, whatever it might be that have sort of taken on this life um, or it's been impressed upon them through learning through gambling games or other games it can be tricky sometimes and you got to stop yourself for a moment like all right come on i got to calm down here i'm i'm plus ev minus eving out everything i do and um it can suck the juice out of a lot of things but has that gotten to the point on occasion for you where you're like all right i need to just calm down and and let let things flow a little bit yeah absolutely and and obviously uh it's it's difficult um but you have to find that middle ground uh, otherwise then you're evaluating everything whether it be you know a relationship or, you know, like I said, a, going out for a dinner, which are things that should just be more, more natural. So it definitely has its, uh, its benefits and has its drawbacks, but I will say, um, learning one market is, is very essential in, in like, once you've learned one market and, and again, I, I wouldn't call myself uh, a professional. I'm not even close to the level as many of my peers in this space, but knowing kind of like how a betting market works can then be directly translated to, you know, a stock market and things like that. So, I mean, one thing I've learned about the stock market right now is that, you know, based on what I know in the betting market and how hard it is to beat X, um, you know, it's even more difficult to beat the stock market. So if somebody's, you know, touting a stock pick, I and mean, that's probably similar to somebody touting a, a betting pick. So it's actually taught me that, you know, I'm not going to be a day trader or a good stock market investor uh, in the long term. So I have to find alternate ways to kind of get the expected value out of that. So from a sense of like investments and managing life in that perspective, uh, it has helped me out a lot, um, even in terms of evaluating things like, you know, keeping a full-time corporate job or, or you know, quitting that job or, or, you know, starting my own company versus, you know, working for, a corporation. I, it, it'll help in all of those things. But yes, in terms of the day to day, it's something that you definitely need to strip out. And I am working on that as well. So tell me some other things that you found useful for those that uh, obviously we talked about line shopping, but what else is there out there that people can focus on to help them get out of the recreational category and, and move their way up? Okay. So one thing that I, I really like, I'm a big proponent of is everyone you'll hear preaching right now on, on Twitter and, and on different podcasts and shows is saying like, if you're going to model, then you, you can model out a game and you can sim this game. And what you have to do is bet early in the week and, and simulate that game and then go from there. Uh, ultimately, you know, that is one strategy that could work. So simulating games uh, on some sort of model, whether it be, you know, Python or some sort of coding language, and then actually betting those early in the week and getting the closing line value is awesome. And if you can do that consistently, you're going to be a winner and you should continue to do that. But to advocate that to most recreational bettors who don't really have data science experience or modeling experience is going to be difficult because them beating the closing line is also going to be a coin flip. So if you're going to coin flip early in the week, then you might as well coin flip 
on Sunday morning for a football game, for example. So one thing that I really like is a lot of people call it a top-down approach, but ultimately what, what I think is unique that can be done right now on the recreational side of things that helps maximize your expected value uh, is there's so many things that go into a line uh, whether it be even a smaller market line right now, something like, let's say, you know, rugby or you know whatever, even just say like a sport like badminton. So much will still go into that line that that line becomes more efficient the second before game time than it is, you know, when it opened. So instead of actually trying to build something from scratch and say, I make the Rams a three and a half point favorite based on my model and I can get them minus two and a half. So I'm going to be placing that bet on, you know, early in the week, instead of doing that, what, what I would potentially advocate and something that I've been working on is, um, waiting until the line actually does get to its efficiency. And it might be a hotly debated topic. The lines for the NFL, like it's just a tough way to make money for the NFL for sure. But from a recreational side, if you wait until that line is at its sharpest point, and then line shop, so you're getting a lower hold, and try to build in something that you feel is not factored into that line. So for NFL, that's going to be really tough right now for the recreational guy. Uh, but for a smaller market sport, let's say like you're, you wanted to bet on NASCAR, or Formula One, wait until the lines are 100% efficient, or not 100%, but are the most efficient that they're going to be. And then try to model one specific thing that might be not factored into that line, right? With full games, this becomes a little bit more difficult. But when you look at alternate markets or things like that, and I can give out real-time examples of things that I've done in the past that, that have worked, uh, it, it is possible to then find these edges and, and be able to bet them pre-game. So one thing I can give an example of is a couple of seasons ago in the National Hockey League, they were there was this trend going on where teams were pulling their goalie uh, earlier when they were down a goal in the game. So in the third period, historically for years, everyone had pulled their goalie around the one minute mark uh, of the game. So with one minute left in the third, they pull their goalie, send out an extra skater and try to get that goal to tie it up. Um, but the trend was kind of emerging year over year that even when teams were down two goals or even three goals, they would still pull their goalie um, let's say with three minutes left or three and a half minutes left. And, and these are extreme examples, but there was many cases in which, you know, teams will pull their goalie and they do it now still as well with three minutes left to try to get two goals or three goals. And ultimately what happens when this happens is either the team scores an empty netter or at the very worst case, you know, it's break even, but that other team is putting extra pressure. So it, it drastically increases your chances of a goal. So for example, something like this, where you can spot that in the market, and, and I can tell you when I was betting this, it was not factored into the line. So what I had found was that this was giving the, the six in the NHL, which is the, the six game total. So uh, over under five and a half, so over five and a half, under six and a half would have been a worthwhile arbitrage play. So what I had done then is, is factored in that the percentage chance of the game now landing on six, likely in the score of 4-2 when the game was 3-2 with the added, uh, the added goal, or even a, like a 4-1 a score with an added empty netter to make it 5-1. Well, what I had found was the six was then getting you know, additional uh, coverage. So ultimately by arbing the, the five and a half and the six and a half down, that was an edge that I was able to uncover that lasted, you know, about a month and a week. And I was able to juice that for whatever I could, but you know, 
that's one thing that you're able to find that's not factored into the market until it eventually is. So by looking at smaller things like that and waiting until the game line is efficient and then betting in things that are not impacted into the line, uh, you can achieve an edge that is something that you know is a lot of fun um, and is profitable. For the average person listening, does that mean they need to A, follow betting markets to have an understanding of where prices sit, um, you know, what's happening from a week to week point of view, as well as be domain experts in a certain sport or watch every NASCAR race every week and then pick something up and then look at the betting markets and say, well, it doesn't seem like it's, it's been influenced yet. And I can potentially capitalize on that. Is that something you would, you would say is worthwhile or is there better ways to go about it? There's definitely better ways to go about it in terms of maximizing earn, but I'm speaking about this from a perspective of the the guy who is or the guy or girl who is the super fan that is watching every single UFC fight and thinks this might actually not be impacted until this may not be implemented into the line. Let me let me factor this in. Or the person who is watching football every single Sunday, instead of trying to look for the narrative stuff and the trends, try to find that one thing, uh, and then wait until the the line is efficient, and then and then try to you know again. Then you have to find a low synthetic hold. You have to line shop. And if you can get minus 101 and plus 100 on the other side, you're betting into such a low hold that even if you have the smallest edge now, you're going to be break even or profitable. Another example I can give you from actually, you know, as recent as this season that's just started to evaporate and I don't mind sharing is um, if you look at the NFL, it's such a big trend now that teams are deferring the opening kickoff. So in previous years, there was a handful of teams that would defer the opening kickoff, which for, to those who don't follow NFL or know what that means, it is when you win the coin toss and then you still elect to kick off to the other team instead of receiving the ball. And then you in turn receive the ball in the second half. So whether there is an advantage to this is, is debated. And the reality is people weren't doing that. And now there's about... 80% of teams or you know a larger percentage of teams who are doing that. And there are certain teams who are not doing that. So in terms of factoring this into the game, you could for sure write some sort of model that quantifies if this is good or bad, and then you know rate uh, uptick the teams who are doing it and then downtick the teams who are not doing it. But there's so much other noise and the line's so efficient already that is that enough to overcome the VIG? Who knows? But what you could also do is then translate the same thing to a really small market or a smaller derivative market that's not factoring this in right now and then find an edge that way. So for example, what I've been doing a lot this season is factoring this information as well as a bunch of other information into like a, a model for the first touchdown of the game. So when you look at what's impacted most by teams deferring, it's going to be the first score of the game. Now that market, again, was already efficient in factoring this in. So I looked at, at it a step further. The first touchdown of the game, which is like a, a player level thing, quite obviously, if you get the ball first, then you're more likely to score the first touchdown than getting the ball second. So something like that, where you could match up teams and say, this team is always deferring and this team is always receiving. So there's X percent chance that this team is going to get the first ball. Now factor that in um, with some other stats, shop around for the best line, and then there you have you know, an edge. So if you can repeat this process across multiple sports or across one sport and continue to do this for people who are watching the, the games, you can build up these you know, micro edges or small edges that are also a ton of fun to watch. So when watching football, I was able to root for guys like 
you know, Patrick Mahomes to get the first touchdown of the game. And then, you know, that's a long shot bet that also provides a lot of entertainment value and it's plus expected value. I'm laughing. That's the, uh, the goal of mine. Yeah. And obviously weather and injuries and things like that, which people probably already know about, but are much harder to factor in because obviously speed of information is a factor when it comes to injuries and weather is probably in the line already. If it's not, then you'd have to have a different angle to assess. But are you saying that there's probably plenty more of those things out there that people can pick up on? And if they do their diligence, they might be able to get back to break even or, or even better. Yeah. I mean, I've got a handful more that I'm currently working on. And I know another, a lot of other groups that are working on, you know, other handfuls of this across different sports, across different lines. So um, they are available. If you, uh, I mean, if you wanted like, touch base on any of these things, like get my opinion on whether I've like looked into it, or if you want to work together on something that you think might be an edge that you don't know is factored into the line, I'm all ears. You can uh, DM bet stamp on Twitter and uh, I'll be happy to take a look at that and respond. But yes, yes. I will say there's, there's hundreds of different things like this that exist. Um, and I have, you know, I've got even more examples, but we'd kind of just be beating the horse. There's of course there's many, there's many, and there will continue to be more as games change. Uh, I was actually unable to take advantage of any of the home field stuff that shifted based on the the stadiums and everything that happened with with COVID this year. But I, I do know groups that were able to take a lot of advantage of that, whether it be, you know, totals in the NBA or whether it be home court in the NHL when they were in the bubble that was essentially diminished to nothing, um, but still being factored into the lines over the first couple of weeks. So there's going to be things as things change, as sports change, uh, as leagues start to heavily weight the three-pointer more in NBA versus what was historically a, a two-point game, everything's going to change and there's always edges to be made and, and opened up. It sounds like just hearing you talk about it, there's some you know, mental uh, acuity and mental approach to this that excites you and, and is obviously stimulating. And I think there's a certain group of people that that would be the same, you know, trying to establish what these angles and edges might be then going into to look into the details and figure out if that's there and then going to find derivative markets and, and all those different things is one of the reasons why you're probably doing this uh, for for sure for sure and uh like i said before there's many ways to win uh you just have to figure out the way that's going to best suit you and even without even without saying like yeah i want to be a winner i need to be a winner even just by like i said line shopping or coming up with what you think might be your own angle is going to add a lot of entertainment value to the game. So if I, if I think that I'm able to, you know, like I've found something where when this guy plays, and even if it is a narrative that likely has no intrinsic value, even if it is a narrative driven thing where this guy plays better off the bye week, then if I can line shop, get as close to a synthetic hold of zero as I possibly can, and then bet that angle or edge, and I end up winning that because let's face it, 50% of the time, I'm still going to win that bet. Then, you know, I'm happy and it's, it's added that entertainment value. So I'm able to, you know, increase my entertainment value. I'm able to potentially find an edge, but the key to this is obviously like being still able to find the best of the number and being able to kind of weed out the noise and, and quantify what you think could be an edge and is not factored into the line. Yeah. It's a great safety net to, to find that synthetic hold as close as you can um to nothing and then from there you can play around with some of these different edges it, it makes it far easier i'm sure for people to tinker and try different things as opposed to betting into typical prices where if you're wrong then <laughs> you got to pay four or five percent 
um, if not even higher on some of these other derivative markets where the hold can be more. So it's it's good to be able to balance those two things together and allows you to take some shots, I'm sure. For sure. Another thing I will add is uh, that's helped me a lot is if you want to make more money betting sports, then, you know, it's going to be very hard to increase the edge you have. So you might have a 1% edge, you might have a 3%, 5% edge, depending on the market. Uh, so half of the profit is going to be tied to like what your edge is, and then half of it is going to be tied to how much you're able to get down. So you have to think realistically about sports betting. People, I hear people on Twitter and I hear people messaging me all the time saying, I want to earn $10,000 this year from sports betting. Is that achievable? And, and every time I would say yes, but but you have to be realistic about the goal. And then if you want to earn $10,000, you're likely going to have to stake potentially more than you're comfortable with or something beyond your means. So by you know looking at sports betting in this sense, it also helps a lot of, if my edge is 1%, uh, and I want to make a thousand dollars betting sports, and then I have to actually risk one hundred thousand. So it's it's going to be tough to then scale that up if I don't have the means, if I don't have the bankroll, if I don't have you know the risk tolerance to be doing something like that. Tell us about your day to day as a, an advantage player, a, a gambler who is trying to find edges and, and trying to win longer term. Is that the same today as it was a year ago or two years ago? Tell us about how that has evolved and just what your time is spent on. For sure. Uh, so without getting into it too much, I'll say it's it becomes harder and harder to beat sports betting every single year. So I, I almost laugh at some of the edges I had two, three years ago and some of the things that were available when comparing them to today and how everything's dried up. Um, but then also as you, you grow and talk to people and meet different people, um, you're able to, you know, get this edge from this person and this edge from this person. And, and maybe I can work with this group on this. So ultimately for every door that closes, I think another one or even two will open up as long as you're willing to, you know, open them yourself and, and walk through them. But I'd say within my day to day, uh, I am doing a lot of trading. Uh, I am doing a ton of kind of like, I guess reconnaissance, like, you know, trying to analyze my history, figure out where I can improve my current stuff and then also looking for new stuff. Um, and then there's also the, the whole like tracking, analyzing, accounting, keeping accounts, managing accounts and, and all that, that jazz that comes with it. That's a whole, a whole different side of, uh, of any business. Um, from there, I think it's actually a good time to get into it. So I, I mean, I consider myself an advantage player uh, for sure, but you know, for the most part, I don't consider myself to be like, you know, uh, to the, to the level of, or even wanting to get to the level of somebody who is, you know, the biggest in the world at, at betting and running, you know, syndicate groups or betting offices. I, I do have a passion for business as well. Um, and, and that's, you know, part of the reason why myself as well as my business partner started uh, BetStamp. And I can get into a little bit about what the platform is, but Ultimately, when I say in terms of day to day, I am working a significant chunk of my day also on, on our startup and getting this off the ground and making sure that uh, this is, you know, the best bet tracking and betting analysis platform in the space. So uh, it's a healthy mix of both. And I feel like, you know, at this time, I'm able to do both and, and do them both um, well. But, uh, you know, there may come a time where I may have to drop uh, drop something in order to, you know, take the business off. Uh, off fully so it's a trade-off but uh, right now it's going well and I'm, I'm happy about it so take us back to the ideation part and 
the early stages. What was your mindset like then? And is it still the same? Are you as bullish or as excited or or, or how has that sort of changed since the, the early stage? So in terms of, of BetSamp, uh, I mean, essentially the the platform came about because there's just there's just no good bet tracking and bet analyzing platform in the market right now. Uh, before we we launched, there was there was nothing. So if I wanted to track my bets, the best alternative to Excel was essentially something that isn't as powerful as Excel. So when we're looking at um, Microsoft Excel, it's a great tool and it's used for so many different things. But ultimately, we wanted to build a platform that was specific to sports betters and helping that level of sports better that we've been talking about this whole show of, you know, that middle tier player, uh, like helping them succeed and helping a lot of the beginner players and the recreational players get up to that middle tier. So if I'm being 100% honest, we needed like a really good bet tracking platform for for ourselves. And we were kind of building like, you know, a different version of this. And, and ultimately we we did build what what was kind of the bet stamp tracking platform outside of that and then really relayed that and built it into like an app and and what it is today so right now um as mentioned the best tool that you can get as uh as a recreational better is the ability to line shop so within bet stamp which is our platform and i don't really want to make this like a plug or, or you know make the whole episode about using our app and why you should but i'll touch on it briefly uh, if you use BetStamp, you can compare odds from like at this point, 25 plus sports books um, globally. And essentially we'll tell you where the best line is for the major markets. And we're adding more and more every single day. But that essentially helps you with not having to open up a hundred different Google Chrome tabs on your computer uh, and comparing, you know, or 25 and comparing through all those 25 different sites. So you can line shop. Uh, and you can manage multiple books directly in the app. So what we built it for right now is for that player to be able to line shop and also for them to be able to easily track and analyze their betting history and everything that they've done uh, to this point. When you're able to when you're able to line shop, you obviously get that you know advantage right away. But when you're able to track and analyze where you've been betting and mapping it back to different sports books, you will definitely uncover certain trends about your betting that will will enable you to improve. So something like knowing that uh, if you're modeling or originating anything, then you need to obviously do that. But even if you're not, uh, and you're just betting for fun or just line scraping or anything like that, you're going to need to know what books you're winning at, what books you're losing at, and even more specific, what types of bets you're losing at, at which books. So if you're arbing between two sports books, one offshore and one legal onshore, and you constantly find that you're losing at the offshore sports book and winning at the onshore sports book, that may be a sign that, you know, X line for that sport is sharper at X book versus Y book. Um, it is easy to tell people, yeah, this is this is how you bet and this is how you line shop and this is the best thing. But ultimately, unless people can actually see it in their own betting history, it's not as powerful and as effective. So with BetStamp uh, right now, you can track almost anything uh, you want and have it automatically update and, and manage for you. So, you know, we're calculating your closing line value the correct way. Um, we're calculating your ROI the correct way. We're, we're making sure that uh, for the average better who wants to improve, they have all of the stats and tools ready right there, and they don't have to necessarily open an Excel sheet, log all their bets manually, and then go back 
and input the closing line and input the score of the game and grade the bets and, and all and all of that stuff. So as of right now, um, that is the value of Betstamp to the type of gambler, the type of better that we're talking about in this podcast. Um, but we also do have we cater to you know a specific other type of better in another half of the app that we can we can get into another time. So to an extent, you're outsourcing the discipline problem that we talked about earlier, where I don't want to have 13 different Google Chrome tabs open and check all the different prices. And then obviously they might be changing as well and, and can't get them because they've moved based on other things going on in the marketplace. Um, from just a line shopping point of view, that's makes life simple. You can literally open the app and spend you know, 10 seconds just checking where the market's at, what the synthetic hold looks like across those different sports books and it allows someone to to skip the the, the hard work to an extent. Correct, um, and and we've got a, a ton of other cool tools that I w- I would urge anybody who is currently using uh, another tracking app or using Excel to just give it a shot for a week. And uh, I mean, I, I truly don't think that you'll switch back to whatever other method you're using. Uh, it's just so easy to use in terms of uh, a bet tracker. It'll automatically grade. Like your player props wagers, for example, you'll be able to see in game if you've got, uh, let's say, a running back to get over a certain amount of yards, it'll auto update you on how many yards they're at. It's it's a replacement to also having to check all of the box scores and going through for, you know, player and game props. And then for the regular game lines, we've got like, you know, live lines incorporated everything. It's it's a much simpler platform than others that exist out there. Um, it's, it's only been around since the very start of the football season. We've already released, uh, a significant amount of updates to, to the app stores and we're continuing to grow this and, and, and make it even better than it is. So I'll say anyone who's using Excel or anything to track their bets already switch over for one week or even just do both in tandem for a week. And, and I don't think you'll switch back. Um, alternatively, if you're not tracking your bets at all and, and you don't have any, um, time for that and you didn't have the time for excel i would still urge you to just give it a shot for a day or two and see if betstamp is saving you a lot of time in this sense because uh you know that is what it's designed for is to help the people who are currently doing it but more importantly encourage that to be done for um for the people who are currently just straight recreational betters and not line shopping and not tracking anywhere how difficult is it to interpret the data on what you're betting on and what that means? Because I'm guessing there's some people who might see seven bets on SEC football and they're you know five and two and say, well, I'm clearly good at that. I like the SEC as well. I'm, I'm going to keep betting on you know Georgia and Alabama and all these teams because obviously you need sample size and there's some other challenges that comes with that. But what what's the best way for someone to to analyze that information, even if they've had 50 or 100 or 200 different bets uh there are some challenges that come with that i'm sure for sure a unique thing about betstamp is we do track the closing line value um on your bet as well so if you've got 200 bets and you've achieved a five percent roi but you're negative three percent in closing line value then sure you 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 won and that's awesome but ultimately that's a, a poor indicator of future success so that's something that you could then delve into is where am i beating the close where am i not beating the close like am i betting uh, you know, too early? Am I betting too late? And, and again, not not that any of this stuff really matters for the, the, the one-time recreational better who's betting the $10, but for somebody who is trying to make a go of it or is modeling themselves, to be able to have all those tools at their, um, you know, at their mercy is, is a great thing. Um, we 
we don't currently have, so a lot of the other platforms are more, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a content platform as well, where they're going to, you know, tell picks or give out picks or, you know, preach things that, you know, personally, I don't think matter much such as, you know, what might be the, the bet money percentages versus the sharp action percentages, sharp versus public money and all that things, all those things that aren't really too accurate. So on our platform, it, it is a known, it is no nonsense uh, right now. And we intend to keep it that way in a sense of like, there, there aren't articles on the website where we've hired journalists who aren't sports bettors to give out picks. There aren't um, a lot of these bogus stats that, that typically would pop up, you know, on these type of, of platforms. So for us, we're focusing on the key stuff. What we do hope to, to do more of uh, in 2021 is we've got a ton of features coming, but we also want to um, come out with kind of like some, some guides and, and things that can help people use the app that are more, um, you know, not really subjective stuff. It's more objective analysis and saying, if you do this, this is what this means and not necessarily giving people the answer, but, but telling them that this, these are ways in which you can do and uh, do things and here's how you can do them. Uh, and if you want to continue to do these and if you draw conclusions from these and that's great. Uh, but what we don't want to do is, is obviously provide like, you know, the articles content or the, or the video content, um, outside of the, the recreational space. So as you're describing these things, we seem to be sort of one step removed from Excel spreadsheet um, world or land, and we're getting towards now technology uh, to support those people who are betting, and they can use it in, in obviously different ways, and there's tools and features that, that help support their betting as they hopefully climb up the ladder towards uh, uh, losing less or and or winning. What does that sort of trajectory look like in your mind given what you've built to this point and how you've analyzed things to get to where you are today obviously the the end game might be for some anyway that you can just input i want to bet a hundred dollars on um on this team give me the best price but i think for legal and regulatory reasons that's probably not going to happen as well as many other reasons certainly not anytime soon where that you know is fully uh done through technology and software but how does this progress as we go through the years and and we get more involvement from technology, these applications, the software that can help help us uh, gamblers out there with the, the challenges that we have with um, all the different things we've talked about that sort of impose, you know, barriers and hurdles for those who are trying to move away from, from losing four, five, six percent of their, their bets? For sure. So I think the the tech in the betting space right now um it's not up to to par on where on where it should be but again as you mentioned with the regulations it it is tough for these legal us books to run um successful sports books given you know the taxes they're paying the regulations they need to they need to follow and also the level of competition in you know even just think of how much it costs them to acquire one single user uh it is then tougher to pay that much to acquire a user and then give that user, um, you know, a 10 out of 10 betting experience on checking every single box in the game. I think, yeah, if there was a way to have one platform that gave you the best line, that would be great. But I I don't know if it'll ever get there. Um, I think based on, you know, the, the different companies and operators that are entering the space there, there is, it's just, it's quite obvious that, there's not going to be like one single player um, in in the competitive states, but 
maybe there is room for like some consolidation and then and then you know ease of use for the betters to access only like three or four sports books i'm i mean i think the u.s industry is for sports betting is good right now it's not great it definitely could be better it's it's difficult for all of these books to like i said follow all those regulations and for the most part um you know it's a different discussion but kicking out anyone with a pulse is 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 different on the tech side, I don't know if I have like an answer of what the ideal would be for you. I, I I can tell you we are working on some amazing things that will help sports bettors manage everything very easily. Um, now, it won't be that we're able to submit bets for the sports bettors, but um, we do have some really cool things we're working on that are going to be, and I can't really share them at this time, but you know, keep your keep your eyes peeled, ears peeled, and I think they're going to help sports betters and make this whole process easier and much more enjoyable and much more fun. Um, in terms of kind of like where the industry is going though, from a, from a tech standpoint, I think a lot of these companies that are doing a lot of B2B stuff with the sports books are going to help the products a lot. So I won't mention anyone specific or anything specific, but uh, there's a company right now that's doing like working on a live product for sports books that's going to help with the delays and all of this all of the different things that are hindering the live betting process right now and uh i think that's going to be an awesome product there's a lot of props products right now that um companies are managing the risks for sports books on the props department and keeping that as a separate entity or an esports product that's coming in and I, i really think that is more the future versus one provider uh, providing the odds for everything. So if you can have an esports provider that's managing your risk for esports, and then a player props provider, uh, and then on top of that, you've got your live sports provider. Then now at this point, what you can do is focus. Like those companies are focused just on that one aspect, and your overall product gets a lot better because you're not, you know, dealing the delays, or you're not only able to offer five props. Instead, you can offer every prop. So these things, uh, I think if they can come to the U.S. market, um, whether it be fast or over the next couple of years, will be like a huge help in creating a better product experience for the customers. But as of the com- competition, as for the competition between books, I'm not sure, you know, what's going to happen. Uh, it's your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. I mean, even in other industries, like you think about doing your taxes, even like five, 10 years ago, you'd probably have to go to an accountant's office. You'd have to sit there and talk to them or whatever else and submit a bunch of information details and all that to now where it's like if you've ever used TurboTax or some of these solutions now where you just you go through in 15 20 minutes answer a bunch of questions you know submit a bunch of pdfs and then you're done i mean i think sports betting potentially is probably more towards the go into the accountant's office phase um and you know we're getting hopefully towards the the TurboTax sort of outcome but there's plenty of hurdles to, to jump over before we get there across a bunch of different topics, not just um, tools and features to help sports betters, but you know, getting the, the VIG down across the board, obviously the exchanges and other things that have come up in the past. It'll be interesting to watch and see how it evolves and how quickly it does and, and what maybe the pandemic impact has had on that with respect to building out these different things, if it does accelerate that or if it makes it more difficult. But I mean, just more, more generally, you talked before about it being potentially harder to win or harder to maintain those edges for for longer periods of time. Is it generally a better environment just because of the developments? And, and, you know, you think about like even like card counting, you had to drive to every different casino. I even listened to different stories and I'm listening to the risk of ruin now about some of the old stories of 
driving casino to casino, state to state, country to country, and that's what's required to count cards, obviously in person and, and try and make money. How how is that for you now? Is it something that there's plenty of challenges, plenty of new challenges, but you know they're just challenges and they can be defeated and and beaten and hopefully uh, make some money out of it. But is it overall a net negative with how things are getting more difficult, or are there still plenty of ways to to make it worthwhile for you? Well, it, I think you related it to the card counting industry, which is, which is great. And personally, I've never counted cards or, or dealt with any like casino AP or anything like that. But I think it's just a matter of like, that's the way life is as you continue to grow. And as the years pass, things become better and more efficient and, and harder to do this. So, you know, had you had the, like, it, it could be said with any single industry, right? If you had a better, um, you know, let's say a better way to make food. And now you could put that back into the, you know, the eighties, then that would be an awesome product back then. And wow, the technology we have now, imagine we just had that four years ago. I feel like that's always going to be a phrase that people would, would say throughout, you know, humanity. So in, in 10 years, we're going to say, wow, remember how easy it was to bet on sports 10 years ago. Um, I truly believe we w- we will end up saying that as well. So for me, what I'd say is, um, yeah, there's obviously challenges, everything becomes more efficient. And as more people get into the space, uh, it could open up more liquidity. But in reality, what it likely does is just open up more competition. Um, But that's just a challenge, right? If you want to, if you want to make money, then it's not going to be easy. Uh, If it was, then, you know, everyone would be rich. Very true. So what do you say to people? I'm guessing people reach out all the time and talk about you know, leaving my current corporate job to do sports betting full time, or all those types of conversations. How do you address those? I mean, obviously, you obviously had to address it for yourself, um, and many people have thought about it over the years. But what's your advice in that space when it comes to trying to understand what the right path is for someone? So a lot of people will the blanket advice across the board it, it, that people give out is usually like, uh, don't. Uh, don't quit your job. This is not a good industry to get in as a professional better. You wouldn't want to be an adventure player. You don't want to be a better right now. It's too hard. Um, I, I would never give that advice. I would just advocate for people to map it out and, and put in a realistic goal of what they think they can earn and if they're happy with that. So, um, you know, it is, it's like, again, it's not glorious. It's hard to make, you know, a million dollars a year is going to be very hard to do. Um, $100,000 a year is going to be hard, but maybe attainable, maybe 20,000 is attainable. I can't really put dollar figures based on um, a generalization because for every person, like I said, it's going to be different. So the main thing I would say is if someone says, oh, I want to quit my corporate job and I want to get into sports betting, I would say if your passion is not in your corporate job and it's in sports betting uh, and you're willing to take that leap and, and obviously, you know, there's different things like some people have, you know, families and debt and different levels of financial security and, and all that's got to be factored in. But but ultimately, like I would never tell anybody to not enter any industry ever. I would say map it out and see where you can get and where you want to go. And, and if it works and if you think that you can get to that level and you'll be happy getting to that level, then, then take the leap. Because ultimately, the worst thing that's going to happen is you know, you go bust. And and then at the end of the day, you can start something else or you can do something else. Uh, as long as you're driven, motivated, and can understand the risks and the rewards and everything like that, then it's it's just another bet that you're taking, right? So 
I left my corporate job when the expected value of that corporate job became less than that of leaving that job. So if you can think like that, then the decision ends up being cut and dry. And obviously for every single person, it's different. So if anyone wants to have the conversation, again, uh, feel free to you know DM me on Twitter at Betstamp and I'd be happy to talk to anybody on like my journey, how it went and, and kind of like how it's going. And if anyone is struggling with that, I know it's a tough, tough call and a tough conversation to have with yourself and you know maybe family you know if you have wife and kids or husband and kids but I mean like I said it's different for every person and I would never ever like tell anybody to not enter an industry that they were passionate about so one final area I wanted to get your thoughts on and you know a lot of things you've talked about so far are around optimizing what you're doing and the efficiencies and, and things like that and yet today we still have um, we still have touts. We still have you know in quotation marks bad content or misleading or whatever you want to call it that does exist. And you know even the other day I was rereading Arnie Lang's book and he talks about like racetracks like a century ago and there was um, touts saying they had information from the stables and jockeys and trainers and it's not that dissimilar to today. And especially if you spend any time on on the internet or Twitter and these types of places, that's sort of, it's chock-a-block full of all that type of stuff. So how do you see that part of things evolving? Can we solve, you know, those types of areas or are we getting better at that? Because it also, to me, seems like we're not necessarily solving some of those other problems and and maybe some of these apps and, and some of this education and technology will, will solve some of that or clean some of that up. But I still feel like we're a long ways away from um, fixing some of those issues. Well, so um, I don't know if we're going to get into this today, but I, I guess we can. Um, I feel I have like a more of a conflicting view versus the the rest of kind of the the market on this, if we want to call it that. Um, so in all in almost all cases, and, and I'll, I'll put a little asterisk on that, in almost all cases, when someone's giving out picks, it's very likely that they're not a winning better long term uh, and that they will be, you know, like I said, a long-term loser. And anyone who's paying them for the, those picks now needs to factor in the money they paid for the pick on top of the the negative expected value that they're already getting for that pick. So even if someone is winning, you need to now overcome, you know, the bookmakers VIG as well as the the touts VIG, if you want to call it the touts fee. So I think in almost all cases, it's extremely difficult to win when buying somebody else's picks. However, um, like I mentioned before, there's many things that go into an expected value formula that's not just the amount of money. So if I also think that this guy's going to win long term and because I bought his picks, I now enjoy the game more because when I win, I'm happy. And when I lose, you know, maybe I'm able to deflect some of that uh, negative um, like anti enjoyment and say, hey, I don't actually care about this because that wasn't my pick and this guy's going to win. So I'm going to win next time. So it's it's a weird space to be in. Uh, I think honestly that the pick selling space is always going to exist just because of how many people still do it, how many people want to do that. And I know for like a fact, there is a high psychological aspect to buying picks that many people will, will not understand. Um, essentially buying picks is similar to like a, a free roll, which I mean, I've been on like both ends of, of, of a free roll and I definitely can understand kind of like what that's what that means and what that entails. But if someone's giving you good information and you can move it at good, at good numbers and get more down, then that actually is worthwhile. 
but where the tout industry has like a, you know, it's negative drawbacks and it's downfall is in the hundreds of thousands of people who are just, you know, touting false records and scamming and, you know, pulling stuff out of nowhere that goes like, Oh, eight and O yesterday, or, you know, making up profiles on, I'd say I'll call it competing apps uh, that are black and green that they may be able to go in and, and backdate 25 picks from yesterday and then post on Twitter today and say, 24 and one yesterday, what a day by my picks uh, using this link. So I feel like in that sense, uh, that aspect of the industry is very dangerous and it's, you know, it's terrible for people to be buying picks from direct scam artists. Um, I personally though, do not have a problem with anybody selling picks as long as they are doing it uh, honestly and openly. So if you did achieve that record, you know, maybe it's variance, maybe you didn't beat the close, maybe it was, you know, you know, very lucky. But as long as you achieve that record and you weren't giving out stale lines, you weren't giving out, um, you know, you weren't past posting, you weren't falsifying, deleting picks. As long as you're doing that, then that is an industry that still needs to exist. And you can compare this to many industries around the world that, you know, people don't like, but ultimately have a place in society. So whether you like it or not, touting is going to exist. My stance on it is. If it's done responsibly and at least that those people you know are doing it honestly and achieve those records then you know that's part of the industry if you're like straight up scamming people then obviously you know it's not the greatest and i, I hope to eliminate all that um and we didn't really get into it i didn't didn't think we were going to but with within betstamp uh you we do have like a verification aspect of the app so outside of all of the tracking and the line shopping managing of multiple books and the analysis you can do that helps you actually improve your betting. What we also do is have a public facing side of the app where anyone who bets can track their bet against one of our available odd sets. Like I said, 25 plus bookmakers right now, where if that line existed at that bookmaker, then our app will give that line, will give that bet a bet stamp. And when you see that bet stamp, it's time stamped and everything that you can kind of be you know, sure that this guy or this person, this user bet that's that thing. And he at least tracked it against an available line. So from a public perspective or a public facing betting media, anyone who's kind of giving out stale lines or anything like that, we do invite them to come on to BetStamp. Anybody who is selling picks uh, right now and believes they're doing so honestly, we invite them to come on to BetStamp and sell the picks, you know, directly through us where, you know, everything will be verified. Everything will have a timestamp uh, and everything will be kind of like, you know, reputable if you can use that word. So I, I will, yeah, I will go ahead and say like, absolutely. Um, if you're buying picks, it may be tougher to win, but I know it's going to happen anyways. And there are instances in which buying picks is still going to be plus expected value because of the entertainment level it's going to bring you and because of the psychological aspect to it. So if you want to do it, go ahead and do it. Um, Ideally, you'll be doing it through a uh, bet stamp in a platform where you know it's going to be reputable. And if you want to sell your picks uh, right now, then you know also reach out and sell them directly on bet stamp. What this does for you is you know you're going to gain some credibility because you're now posting against available lines. You're not past posting. You're not posting fake records. You're unable to change anything in the past. While also on top of that, um, you know, we're going to help you manage like the payment processing and things like that to make it a little easier for you. So it's, it's a give and take relationship. We'll help you out with all that stuff, give you the reputability and the credibility. And in turn, all we ask is that, you know, you are then made sure to be, you know, posting your picks against available lines, uh, and, and all that jazz. So, uh, I guess we got into the touting stuff. It's, um, 
it's it's crazy and it's a it's a cool it's a cool little industry and a niche industry that I do think will always exist. But uh, we're hoping to help revolutionize that as well as uh, as our platform grows. Yeah, it's one we could spend another two or three hours on probably. Um, and there's plenty of discourse and dialogue out there about it. Um, some good, some not so good. And, and hopefully it, it does get better with these, you know, technology add-ons that can hopefully solve some of the issues. But let's leave it there. I, I, like I said, we could do a few more hours. But just, just finally... Um, the best way to get in contact with you or is that through Betstamp or is that through Twitter or how do you prefer people reach out? Yeah, for sure. So uh, the best best way to contact me would uh, either email me uh, johnny at betstamp.app, J-O-H-N-N-Y or through Twitter uh, at Betstamp. And, uh, you know, definitely I'll be be seeing any messages that come through either of those mediums if you want to get in touch. And like I said, I'm, I'm free to talk whether it be you know, selling picks and, and wanting to do so through the app and making an extra income stream that way, or whether it be, you know, should I buy picks? Should I do this? What should I do? I'm not the be all end all. I I'm, I'm still have so much to learn and I'm still learning so much every single day from, you know, many people like you, Jake, and, and like uh, hundreds of other people that you've had on, on this podcast, but um, I can kind of speak to my own experiences and what's worked for me. And hopefully that can help a lot of other people as well. Awesome. Appreciate the time, Johnny. Good luck with everything. Hopefully it continues on the current trajectory and then things go well for you thanks for the time and it was a lot of fun having a chat yes thank you so much for having me on i uh, really had a blast 